I know who I am. When we are finished with you, you'll no longer be yourself. What's going on, listeners? Welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies. And today we are going to talk about the Jason Bourne series, starting with the Bourne identity. And believe it or not, I kind of couldn't believe this when I actually looked into this movie. This was released 20 years ago, the Bourne identity. It was released June 6th of 2002 when this series first came to theaters. Um, I was a young man back then, and uh, Rob, one of my guests, was a young man, and Harrison, you were even a younger man, so (laughs) (laughs) guys, welcome. Um, I didn't realize this series is over 20 years old. That was kind of crazy to me. It's hard to think that, right? Like, it feels current. It feels fresh. Um, You know, one of the things, like, when you watch movies from the last 10, 15 years, last 20 years, as soon as somebody pulls out a phone, you immediately know how old that movie is, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I realized that this movie came out in 2002 because I, I never can keep them in the right order. So I was looking at the dates to make sure I watched the right one. So I was like, oh, yeah, 2002. But then for you to say 20 years is just like... What the heck? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a long time to think about. Um, one of the things I laughed at, and I, I had sent you guys a text message um, earlier in the day as, as we were talking, that the trailer for this, also like going back and looking at trailers for this mo- like these movies, it's so funny to have like the voiceover guy in the trailers because they're just hysterical to me. Um, but early 2000s, that's what it was. Yeah, I think after that guy died, I think, that just kind of went away. Like trailers now are just kind of like soft piano music and like building tension. And that's just kind of every trailer now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, with this movie being so old, there's not going to be any spoiler warnings or anything like that. We're just going to talk about it. But before we dive into the actual movie, Harrison, I'll let you go first. Um, The Jason Bourne series, you know, kind of just in general and, I think sometimes it's underestimated the importance of this series. This really launched Matt Damon to like an action star long before uh, like Liam Neeson was saving his daughter eight times over um, (laughs) or, you know, John Wick was killing people for killing his dog. So this really kind of like paved the way for, for movies like that, so to speak with this, these action scenes and uh, this kind of for this format. Yeah. It's, it was interesting going back to it and like seeing all that inspired um, it was also interesting to see how the genres changed with the times. Like, I just kept thinking, like, oh, there's no way that you could make this movie today, just like from a technology kind of privacy standpoint, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it was like cool to see, like, wow, this is a really cool action subgenre, if they will, that they created, and it's cool to see how people are kind of continuing that in new ways. Uh, not to say that this is where it all came from, but it's cool to see where where it came from. This is a series is like has a special place in my heart and uh i forgot how like simple it was but also just how good it is like there's a reason that it's remembered yeah rob what are your thoughts on this uh, on this series certainly we'll get more in depth on each movie as we you know as we go along in this series but just in general yeah it's been a really long time since i had seen this um in many ways when i sat down to watch this recently it was almost like 
almost like watching it for the first time again, because <clears throat> it'd been so long and it had only been just the one time that I'd seen it. Um, so it was really kind of fun to just have a good time with this. I think when you look at the spy thriller genre, the first thing that comes to everybody's mind is James Bond. You know, that, that whole style of film starts and be and ends with James Bond. But I think this showed that there's room for other IP in that space. Um, and I think remembering back to what was going on in 2002, I was kind of surprised when Matt Damon was an action hero. Cause that right. really wasn't right. how anybody thought of him. You know, he was, he was kind of a serious actor, you know, he's got very good comedic chops as well. Um, but it seemed like a, a strange choice for him to, to pick this role to do. Um, and I think there's times where this movie benefits by having a serious, legitimate, dramatic actor in an action role. There's, there's a real benefit to it. Um, so there's, there's certainly more space for um, this type of film than just James Bond. And and you mentioned some other great properties that, um, you know, we've talked about this a lot, Matt, but Hollywood's very copycat. Once oh, yeah. one thing, one idea catches fire. I mean, just think about how many millions of cinematic universes they're supposed to be because everybody wants to cash in on what the MCU is doing. Hollywood does everything copycat. There are some of those franchises you mentioned that possibly owe their existence to um, the success of the Bourne series. Yeah, and I think, you know, the point that you made, too, about this wasn't Matt Damon's forte is a really good one because nobody saw him as like this this action star. And again, 20 years ago, that's that's a long time. But and even so, I mean, the last Jason Bourne movie, I think, is now over six seven years old um this just wasn't his thing but he and especially in this movie and then i think as the sequels went on um you know he really grew into this role and it was like oh no he could like matt damon can be an action star uh but it was really cool and like different to see him in this role way back when um so that was just you know i I thought a really cool thing to go back and like for me, it was weird going back because like I, we just saw him in Thor love and thunder. He has a cameo in that just like he did in um, Thor Ragnarok, but it's kind of weird to see him like so young. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it was, it was yeah. weird to see him, you know, um, with like that fresh face kind of look, but I want to get one more thought um, before we move into the actual, um, you know, review of this movie and exactly what we think you know this was surprisingly enough i was surprised that it took so long to bring this to the screen because the book was made in 1980 and like this is something rob and you could probably answer this first you would think that something like this would have been made probably 10 years before like maybe like mid to maybe late 90s um just with the the fact that it was based off of a book, I, I was surprised that this took till 2002 to come out looking back on everything. You know, thinking about it was written in the early 80s, you know, that's still the height of the Cold War. Like mm-hmm. that's still raging. This The whole spy versus spy and gadgets and assassinations and things like that. I mean, that was still right in, you know, kind of the, the, the culture that everybody was, was living. Um, 
but there's also something to be said for sometimes when you're right in the middle of it, you don't really want to escape to something that you're escaping from. So, you know, perhaps they wanted to give it a little bit of time to, to breathe from the, from the end of that, where, you know, it's not everybody who's listening to this will necessarily remember having to do like the drills where it's like, okay, this is what happens in a nuclear attack. Like everybody put your head under your desk. Like that was going to save you from, you know, nuclear infernos or something right. like that. that. Um, so, you know, I, I think that when you look at the, the basic story here, um, it still really holds up regardless of if we're still, you know, battling communism or, or other, you know, enemies out there. Yeah, Harrison, any thoughts on that? I mean, I didn't even know that this was based on a book until the credits started playing and, and said that. But to know that it was written so much earlier, it's weird to imagine what this would be like. like I'm imagining like 80s style Bond. Who was mm. Bond in the 80s? How different this movie would be, you know, like just the same type of attitude towards this type of movie, you would say, or even just like the 90s. It would be so different. Uh, and so it, it like I it. It makes me appreciate it for what it is, and maybe that's just because I really, really have a special plate for this series, special place for this series in my heart, just from loving it. Um, I also, th- it's interesting what you guys were saying earlier. The poster for this says Matt Damon is Jason Bourne, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting to me that like that was a big deal before Matt Damon was Jason Bourne. You know what I mean? Like that was worth promoting, and it's so true. Like. Uh, you know, it, sometimes I just feel like the, the, the movies just wait around until the star is there. And I feels like Matt Damon was born to be Jason Bourne. And so it's like, it's almost impossible for me to imagine this as anything else besides what it is. Like, yeah, which is weird. But it, but seeing the story, like I just kept watching, like, especially at the beginning as he's getting his memory back. It's just like, or not getting his memory back, but struggling to know who he is. I was just constantly like, man, this is such a cool idea. Like, I wish stories like this had the same, like, excitement that this movie gives me. And so it it is interesting that it wasn't adapted sooner because it's just got a great story at the center of it. Yeah, no, I think those are all very valid points. So, you know, let's let's talk about this movie. Um, And Harrison, you you said one thing earlier that I was really thinking about during this movie which other films of this genre can get into this really deep and end up trying to insult the audience. But you said this movie's kind of simple. And I agree with that statement because as they, like as the audience goes along in this film, you know, story of the first movie is Matt Damon's character, Jason Bourne doesn't remember who he is. He wakes up in the middle um, of the high seas on a boat um, with no memory of what happened to him two weeks prior but as the audience goes along with this character it never at any point, especially in this movie, you know, with all like the secrets of Treadstone and everything like that, I never felt like they were overly expositional in this movie or particularly in this series. It always felt like they gave you the right amount of information and didn't just be like, well, you're too dumb to figure it out. So we have to over explain everything. I just, I really appreciate that about this movie overall and this series that the journey with your main character feels very real. Yeah, it, I, I agree with that. If I can jump in and respond, I, I, the entire thing from the character to what he goes through to the reactions to everything, like I, I'm thinking also near the end, 
Like, we don't get some huge battle cinematic type thing. Like, Bourne confronts, I don't know, whatever that guy is, the guy who's in charge of Treadstone. And they, like, have a conversation. And then Jason Bourne leaves. Like, yeah, there's a small action scene in the staircase. But, like, I wouldn't even call that a scene. That's, like, an action moment. And then it moves on. Uh, which is just, like, so good in, in a different kind of way that it's just like, yeah, this is the story we're telling, like, and and it doesn't become more than it needs to be. Like, I love that that so much about this isn't for the fate of the world or anything like that. Like, we get so mm. frequently in action movies where the stakes mm-hmm. are just so high. Like, even at the end of the movie, the CIA, who's or whoever it is, I assume it's the CIA who's in charge of this, uh, they, like, act like... It didn't even happen. In fact, to most people in the world, this didn't happen. Like, which is just so good for the movie. And it, and it never, but also to your extent, like the way that that story is told is never feels like it's like, we have to dumb this down and like really have these long talky scenes where it's like that moment between Bourne and that other agent in the field, such a good moment. Like there's so much that isn't explained in that and it's better for it. Yeah, this is a this is a simple movie. The stakes are low. It's essentially one character, two characters, really, that mm-hmm. are, are it, it's their story. Um, it's not the fate of the world. There's not nukes in the air. There's not, you know, tanks rolling to the borders as a result of what's happening. I think there's also times where spy thrillers can get a little too complex with their twists and turns and double agents and double crosses. And, you know, you get three quarters of the way into the movie and find out that his best friend has secretly been a double agent setting him up all the time. Or, you know, the love interest is actually, you know, a bad guy all the, all this time. And um, we don't get that here. It's, it's a, it's a fairly simple story. This guy, he wakes up He's a highly trained operative with a crazy amount of skills. He doesn't understand or know why he has these skills and he's trying to remember who he is. And as he goes through this just really interesting idea and we see amnesia a lot. I mean, it, it's amnesia stories can be just an eensy weensy bit tropey. Um, particularly if you played any video games at all in the nineties, like it's mm-hmm. pretty much like it's all of them. Um, particularly Final Fantasy 3, which was one of my all-time favorite games. By the way, go check out the uh, Top 100 Video Game Series here at Matt Goes to the Movies if you want to know more about what I'm talking about. It was great fun. Um, but, you know, amnesia can be overdone a little bit. But what if, you know, you give us give somebody an amnesia story and the person who is regaining his memory starts to come to the realization, maybe he's not a good person. Yeah, Maybe he's actually a terrible, awful human being who's done terrible, awful things. And that's why he knows how to do these things. What would that be like? You know, I, I think a lot of people, there's, there's definitely exceptions to that, but a lot of people believe they're good people. What if you kind of woke up still thinking you're a good person to only understand like, whoops, I kill people for a living and I do it in awful ways. Yeah. I, I, go oh, ahead. Sorry. I was I was just say that scene where he's like him and um, Maria, they're looking at the kids in that house near the end. And he's like, everything I just learned, I want to forget. It was like a moment that I never remember ever happening in this series, which I just love. Like it one, because it truly is Matt Damon being Jason Bourne in that moment. Like Rob said earlier, Matt's talent in that moment uh, helps it be more than just an action film. But like, it's also 
that's what makes it interesting and not just that like oh my gosh this one guy's got to step to stop the entire world from blowing up and so it like really really works that it's has an interesting idea at its core and i just real briefly love how quickly or not quickly but the slow change of jason Bourne's reaction to guns like it's just such good storytelling yeah it's you know and with it being a simple story and like the fate of the world it just allows you to care about these two characters jason Bourne and marie because at any point it kind of feels like something could happen to either one of them even though he was you know he's the main character you didn't know if this movie was going to get a sequel and i think this movie did a good job of making you think that maybe you know, something would tie in and maybe Jason would not survive or just he felt vulnerable in this movie. And sometimes in these spy thrillers, like they don't feel vulnerable, like they don't feel like they're in any kind of danger. He did. Um, Marie, who ends, you know, he ends up asking for a ride early in the movie. She feels like she's in danger. And the one thing that I did not remember about this movie, like at all, is I'll let you guys go into this, but I thought their chemistry between Jason Bourne and Marie, um, I, I can't pronounce her name, the actress, but I thought their chemistry was actually really good. They played off each other really well uh, to the point where the ending felt actually real, like he would go find her, but I did not remember actually liking the two of them together when I first saw this movie or when I watched it you know, a couple other times throughout the years, but I, I thought they were really good together. Largely. Yes. Um, with one caveat, there's a, a scene of dialogue that they have in the car when they when they first get to Paris and he's about to go into what he thinks is his house. And it's one of many safe houses that he has really. Um, the whole bit of dialogue they have back and forth. I wish that was written better. It's very clunky to me. And I don't know that we really get good justification for why she doesn't just bugger off and, you know, take her 20 grand and disappear. Um, it, it's, I don't know that they needed to tweak much, but I think one rewrite would have really made that scene work a lot better. And, and, and if they're starting to show interest in one another, I think you could have maybe given us a little bit subtler of, of a hook to make that payoff more later. I think they, I think they went a little too far into that without really justifying why she would go inside with him. I uh, am going to both disagree and agree with what Rob said. One, because I didn't really have any thoughts about that until he started to talk about it. Um, but I really do agree that their chemistry was really strong. Um, like more so than I thought, like their relationship is more of this movie than I realized. And they have to work like you need your actors to work for that to to be a good story. And, and they really do. The thing I'll say about what you said, Rob, is that while I don't remember the dialogue of that scene, so that means I, I guess it wasn't too bad for me, at least. I do remember thinking because it's been a long time since I'd seen this movie and all, could, all I could remember about the relationship was that she cuts her hair. And that, like, that's it. Like, not that they <laughs> are romantic afterwards, just that she cut her hair and that at the very end, he goes and visits her moped shop. Like, that's all I could remember. So as the movie was going and, and they kind of were in the car, I was kind of thinking like, oh, wow, like they're not going to have any romance between them. And so the movie was kind of leading me in that direction. So I can imagine why the dialogue 
wasn't doing maybe what it should have been is it wasn't hooking me the right way. It was hooking me the wrong direction, if that makes sense. But when that scene, when she is cutting her hair, I was like feeling this is might sound awkward to say, but I'm just going to say it. I was feeling the intimacy of that moment in like a non-romantic way. And it re- like from the cinematography to the editing, I love how quiet this movie is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the moments of silence just really sold the intimacy of that moment from like a romantic standpoint to just like a feeling the weight of what's happening to your life with this person you're with, like the two of you together, just like feeling the reality of life, I think is a very intimate experience, no matter even not romantically. Anyway. So I I was just like really feeling it. And then all of a sudden I was just like, Oh yeah, totally. Like this reaction makes total sense to me. So it, it, I get what you're saying, but the movie swerved for me really well. If that makes sense. Rob, anything that you want to follow up with that? Yeah, I think that um, that particular scene really did start to hook a little bit there and make make that pay off well. Um, when when she's kind of realizing, like at the point where he's having to dye her hair, cut her hair, I, I think there's kind of a you get the sense that she's understood. Like I'm I'm in I'm in it now. Like I'm in some stuff now. Like there's the point of no return is way in my rearview mirror. Um, so let's just ride this crazy train for whatever it's worth. Um, you know, I, I did feel like that scene was effective. Yeah, no, I, I agree with, uh, with both points. Um, I do think some of the dialogue, I think they tried to explain the, a little bit why she might go with him just when, um, when they were talking about the two of them, cause they found that photo of them uh, when he offered the 20,000 for the ride. And they're just like, she doesn't stay in one place long. She's been here. She's been there. She kind of doesn't stick around. So the fact that like, she might just be going for the simple fact of this, it, like she's going to go to another place. Cause she's not going to stay here. Even with a 20,000, she might just be seeing like, where's he go? Like, where is he going? Cause maybe I'll hide out there. But that's just my opinion on that. So, Rob, I want to circle back to, you know, your statement about somebody who might think they're the good guy, but as he's getting his memories back. And I think that's one of the other things that the movie does really well is not only does it, you know, he starts remembering things, I think, in a a really I want to say the pacing is really well done. It's not just everything just downloads at once. And he's like these are all my memories. It takes like the entire movie to get, you know, the whole story. Um, But his reactions to when he does things like the first time he disarms those guards and takes the gun, you can tell he's not comfortable with it. He's not just like, Oh, I'm a badass. Look what I just did. He's like, Oh, what did I just do? Like, uh, how do I like, why did I do that? How do I know how to do that? Um, Even when they're in the diner and he's talking about, you know, I can tell you that, the license plates of all seven cars and where, you know, a gun would be in that vehicle and things like that. Uh, I just enjoy the pacing of this movie. And I, I enjoy how Matt Damon showcases like how this person is feeling as more and more of these pieces come together, which I think helped the movie instead of like you said, kind of, you know, either one big twist or like an exposition dump all the way at the end. Yeah, I think that's like we've been saying, getting like an actual very high quality actor like Matt Damon, uh, who's normally 
thought of for his dramatic roles. I mean, I, I was just kind of <clears throat> thinking back to what he would have been in before this um, that I definitely would have remembered seeing. And, you know, thinking back to some of the stuff that came out, um, you know, Saving Private Ryan is really the thing that I would have most closely associated him with. And that, um, and certainly Ocean's Eleven too. I mean, I, I love Ocean's Eleven. That's, <laughs> that movie is just a ton of fun. Like if, if somebody says, hey, do you want to watch Ocean's Eleven? My answer is always going to be yes. Like yes. always. Like, yes, I want to watch Ocean's Eleven. Um, but thinking back to like Saving Private Ryan, like there's no time you ever watch that movie start to finish and you don't have tears in your eyes at the end of it. Like that's, like that's the last thing I really remember thinking about Matt Damon of before this movie came out and to see him respond to that, like you said, you know, there's almost like a disgust he has when he, you know, breaks that dude's arm and, and it's just like, specifically he takes the slide off the gun and he, he removes the, the whole, you know, top half of it and he drops it. And it was just like, what did I do? Like, Oh my God. Like what, why did I, like I just caused harm to this person. Why did I do that? Like, you know, he's, he's just trying to, you know, get, catch a few Z's. He can't even get his bearings. He's asleep on the bench and the cops are kind of like hassling him and he wakes up and he just beats the snot out of them and it just runs. And then he immediately dumps the jacket because he knows that that's an identifying factor. So he's got to dump the jacket and now he's cold, but he, he knows that he's got to do that. And seeing like his kind of, again, I'll use the word disgust when he's sitting in the diner talking about why do I know these things? Like I, I have these skills that are, that cannot mean anything good. Like these are skills that are used to cause harm, to kill people, to, to do probably bad things overall, <clears throat> even if it's for the greater good of, you know, the nation he's supposed to serve, you know, it was really a compelling scene. And you contrast that with, you know, again, I'll reference the bond series. You thinking about like, the Pierce Brosnan run as Bond. One of the big criticisms of that series of Bond films is that he always just looks bored. It doesn't matter what he's doing. He's driving a tank through the middle of Russia. I think it's Russia. He's driving this tank and he just couldn't care less. It's whatever, man, there's rockets firing at me. Meh. You know, like this film gives us a spy right in the thick of it. And we, we get to witness every one of his emotions, anger, fear, rage, frustration, disgust, grief, you know, all of that. Um, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Rob, you brought up an interesting point about James Bond, like particularly because I feel like the Daniel Craig area took a lot of notes from Jason Bourne. So thinking yeah. about Bond before that, like, he is not someone who feels any type of remorse for anything he does from killing someone to taking advantage of women. Like he is just not that type of character on, on the screen ever before. And uh, like suddenly now we have this guy who like, yeah, I mean like what part of us, I, I don't know what it is, but like sometimes I like would imagine what would it be like if I were him in that, in that moment. And I just like beat the snot out of these guys in the park. Would I not kind of just be like, Oh my gosh, that was so cool. Like a little bit of excitement. And there's like something about a character to see that everything about him is like a fear of this becoming reality. And it just, it, it makes the struggle and the story happening so much better, especially knowing like this is Jason Bourne. Like I know, 
this is it, Jason Bourne. It takes a certain kind of sociopathy to beat the crap out of somebody and not feel bad about it. Like as a species, we're not supposed to feel good. Now, if you're attacked, that's another thing. But like, you know, it, it was always hard for me when I was studying martial arts all the time to like actually spar and, and do it like at a reasonable level because I was always afraid I was going to hurt my friend. Like, I just never wanted to do that. Like, I love jujitsu so much because we could spar and we could go pretty much full on and you just tap and then it's over. Like, you don't have to worry about hurting your friend. But if you're kickboxing, like, I never wanted to hurt my friend. So that's like, it takes a certain amount of sociopathy to just be okay with that. And that's not something I think your average person is born with. Born, I'm going to, it's a bad (laughs) pun, I guess. I didn't even intend that. A lot of that has to be trained. A lot of that is the the mental game of spy training to like, listen, you, you got to just program yourself or deprogram some of those things about you to just be like, that's the enemy. You take them out. You feel no remorse. You know, thinking about Clive Owen's character, does that guy seem like he feels any remorse about anything he's doing? No. Nope. Not a bit. Not even a little bit. Um and, and I was kind of thinking about this a little bit, too. When that shows him, he's on the yacht, he's got the gun pointed right at his target. And he stops because he realizes that the, that his kids are in the room. And I was, I was thinking about that, like, wow, that's heavy. What would I do in that situation? Now, I, I don't really think the movie tells us a lot about who this target is and what kind of threat he poses to America, to society as a whole, to innocent people. I don't feel like I actually really know the answer to that, but thinking to the most recent example I could think of and thinking about when seal team six assaulted the compound where Osama bin Laden was hiding and they knew that there were going to be other people there besides him, besides terrorists. They knew that at least one or multiple wives of his were going to be there. And those guys went in, did their job. Um, you know, that's, it, it just, it drew, it drew some parallels in my mind as I was thinking about that, I guess. Just, you know, I, I, I think for somebody like Osama bin Laden, you, most people would just pull that trigger anyways, regardless of who else was in the room. I think it's interesting, just super quick, Matt. I'm sorry I keep interrupting, but back to that scene in the park. I love that you get both sides of the character where like you get the programmed, you know, if you want to say mentally programmed born who has no remorse about fighting and like, like he, it kind of takes a moment for his brain to transfer over from like, I'm okay with this to like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing in like the way he holds the gun and kind of looks at it and all the things going through his head is, it's just, it's just a really well-performed character that makes it so much better than, than like an over-dramatized or an under-dramatized moment. And Matt Damon just, like, he makes Jason Bourne seem like a character and not just like a, like, not just like an action chess piece, so to speak. Yeah, I think one of the other things, too, that, you know, they do really well in this movie is you do get to see, though, those moments not where he's necessarily comfortable but where he has to do this, um, you know, when they get attacked at the apartment, like one of the first things he does is he grabs a knife because for whatever reason, like he senses that probably what's happening, like he's going to need to protect himself when he grabs the pen and just starts, you know, stabbing the guy. Like you get more and more of him just again, kind of 
coming to terms internally, so to speak, with having to do more escalated means of protecting himself as the movie goes on, even though he might not be okay with it. I like, I like the confidence shown inside that apartment scene when he's fight, like when he's fighting him, because you can see a different demeanor when like he realizes, okay, this guy's trained, like it's, it's go time, so to speak. Which I really, really like because I love the moment right before that where she comes in and asks him, like, any clues or something like that. He's like, I think I was in the shipping industry or whatever he says. Like, almost like this hope, like, I really hope that I'm into shipping and that I'm not some trained killer. Like, I don't know. I never noticed those moments in this film before as much as I've seen it. And it adds a new level, level where it's like almost like an acceptance of your life, so to speak. Uh, and like what is required of you, which this is, you know, Jason Bourne is to a whole nother level than anything I'll ever experience. But, but I like that. That's just like, you know what, this is what it takes. And so I'm going to do it. Uh, it's, it's like a good, this sounds weird to say, but it's like a good win for the character, not necessarily like morally or that he has to do these things, but that he is like living up to the pressure put on him, so to speak. I keep saying so to speak, so sorry for anyone listening. You're going to get annoyed with me saying that. Yeah, Jason Bourne, I think of all of the spy characters you can think of, you enjoy his journey the most, I think. And and he feels like the most grounded in reality. I mean, does Ethan Hunt feel like a real character? No, like at no point does he feel like this person is based on somebody real. For most of the run of the character of James Bond, he's a a male fantasy. He's not based on anything. You know, he's got the watch, the car, the the gadgets. He gets the girl and he just dusts himself. I mean, I guess there is that one movie, Pierce Brosnan, and gets like captured and he's a POW and he's tortured for a couple years. That notwithstanding up to the Daniel Craig run where he really does get his butt kicked. And, you know, it's still a little bit fantastical, though. Some of the stunts are just so out of control. But this character does feel like much more grounded in reality than most of the other, you know, main character spies that you can think of in films of this genre. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we haven't really touched at all. We've talked about a couple things, but... (sighs) Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, because you might remember this time frame better than I do or or, or Harrison does. Um, The action scenes in this movie were praised at the time, the camera work, the fighting, because it wasn't really being done in movies like this that we saw, especially this kind of genre. Um, You know, James Bond wasn't really hand to hand combat fighting a lot of people in this style. So different. Um, but the action's really well done in this and in the later movies, the camera gets a little too shaky for my taste with certain things. Um, but the action in this is shot very well and, and not just the action. I think this movie in general is shot very, very well, but at at the time, uh, Rob, I'll let you go first. These action scenes were pretty new in the, in the style of fighting. Yeah, so thinking back to this time frame, I mean, we're starting to get a lot more Wing Chun uh, influence into uh, fight scenes coming out of Hollywood. Um, you, you know, people knew who Jet Li was at this point. He had already been in Lethal Weapon 4. We started to get 
a little more crossover from character from actors like Jackie Chan. I think a lot of people had known who he was, but you know, you started to see a little more of that Wing Chun style of that close combat, you know, elbows and and forearm strikes and things like that. Um, and and you do see a lot of that in in the close action scenes in this. Um, I absolutely love the car chase when when Bourne is behind the wheel of that gremlin or whatever kind of shitbox it was that she's driving. Um, that mm-hmm. is just um, I I do. <laughs> I do think it's hysterical that every car ever in a movie can go faster if it's a manual just because you shift and it just makes it sprint. Like it has like <laughs> nitrous in it. I just, I, I have to, I have to point that out. I can't not ruin something. Um, but I digress. Uh, I still actually really love that scene. I think the carnage uh, in the cars is, is actually pretty cool and well done. Yes. There's a lot of it that relies on luck, but you can see him plotting things out. You can see him, kind of figuring out how to create scenarios that were are going to be advantageous to him. And you can see that training paying off for all of these things. Um, absolutely love that scene. It's probably my favorite scene in, in the movie. Um, I, I think also when he's, when he's got to escape the apartment and he's, uh, he's actually holding the gun upside down and using his pinky for it. I think that really speaks to the adaptability of, the training of this character. He's been put in so many bad situations and had to fight his way out of it in training that when he is put into a real world situation like this, it's just second nature. He doesn't even stop to, to contemplate that the gun is upside down. He's already compensating for it with the other, which by the way, um, shooting with a gun in each hand is about the worst possible thing you can do in terms of actually being able to hit anything with accuracy. So uh, sorry for any John Woo fans out there that might be listening to this, but that doesn't work at all. Like it's, it doesn't, but um, it's still a really cool moment. And to see him kind of think things through and the brutality of when he shoves that dude, who's already dead through the the stairs and just <laughs> continues to shove his, his dead body through the, the staircase so that he can ride him down. Um, and still pull off a couple of shots in the process. I love creativity in action scenes. I love when, when movies give us something we've never seen before, you know, we've seen car chases, but you know, we've seen gunfights show me something I've never seen and I will appreciate you so much more. Yeah. I, there's so many things that I want to come out about that one thing. I mean, like, Think about all the ways that this movie in particular and, and those that follows like changed some, I, I would think majorly for the worst action scenes. Like I, I feel like Doug Lyman, who I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Doug Lyman. I really, really like him. Who's the director of this. Um, he really changed action movies and uh, he, he and the cinematographer, I forget his name. I have it pulled up here. Is he going to drive me nuts that I can't remember it. Uh, Oliver Wood. They like invented this. I would say in like American cinema, so to speak. And I love it. I, I'm thinking also of, of later entries that fight in the, I think it's a shower when Bourne has a newspaper or a magazine that he has rolled up. Like mm-hmm. that is shaky cam dialed to the furthest it can go while still being uh, competent at telling the story. Um, and I love just how it works. Like it makes for a feeling that, that is unlike an action scene like John Wick, for example. Uh, I think both have a place in action movies and I, but that aside, I just love the cinematography in general. Uh, I think Matt, you said this, it's just shot really, really well. There's just a lot of scenes where it's like, wow, this just has a good look and it has moments where it puts attentions to things or in a different way that I really like that I never appreciated. 
like one simple thing in the action scene he's driving the mini cooper which is awesome anything involving a mini cooper in a chase scene i love um so everyone go see the italian job remake <laughs> came out the year after this actually 2003 it's fantastic anyway uh he's driving the mini cooper and there's a shot where the logo that says mini on the steering wheel like fills center frame and then he turns it super fast and it's for like a split second but like that's a fun new look at something in a car chase and it's just a lot of things like that where it's there's a lot of like almost like excitement for what they're crafting here like it, it, it you can kind of get like a fun that maybe doug lyman was out there like hey you know what I've been kind of inspired by these things. Let's do something new. And like, they were excited with the experimentation and it lended itself to like a freshness, so to speak, that has really just been lost with someone just being told, just put on the shoulder rig and just shake it till the cows come home. Uh, because that's what we get. And, and so I like that. It's, it's not that, that it's, it, it is, it makes me happy. Like also just cause I really like this series. It, it makes me happy to come back and, and have it still work. Because the most recent one I saw is just Jason Bourne that came out like 2016 or whatever it was. And, oh, my gosh, I think that that one might be the one that you could bring up as like the worst example of shaky cam. And it's like, man, you guys were the ones that were like right in the middle of it when it was becoming the thing. How could you let it go? And so it, it's to me, it's fulfilling to come back and be like, you know what? They at the time they knew what they were doing. Yeah, I think when I rewatched this movie, it made me think of, you know, a little bit more of, you know, the other one, two, three, the other four movies, because um, we're counting the Born Legacy and in, in these reviews that we're going to do. Um, this series in general, not only has like the really good hand to hand action scenes, but it really does have good chase sequences throughout the entire series of the film like that was something i was surprised at rewatching it was how well the chase scenes are done and rob you just you made a really good point with it that the reason i think it works is yeah i'm sure some of it depends on luck but like you've got the impression that this guy is smart enough that he can calculate as it's going on what he needs to do to actually make this work um but there's things that like impede him along the way and you can see him making plans um, and just like doing things. So I think that's why the chase scene works, you know, not only because it's shot really well, but in this world and with how smart Jason Bourne seems to be, it seems believable that he would be able to navigate this and get through it. Whereas opposed to other things, it's like, yeah, this is just made because you're supposed to think it looks cool. It, it, it's so much more than just like a chasing for the sake of a chasing or just for like the next action sequence. So do, you don't get bored. It's also like a character moment for Mary um, or Marie, however is her name, Marie. Marie. And, and also Jason, like for the split second, he kind of looks at the map and I, I like to th imagine that it's him plotting somewhat of a course of where he wants to go and where he wants to end up. Uh, and then he does it, you know, and he's responding and reacting and, and it. And that like reaction makes for a better chase scene as well, that it's not just like, oh, he is just so powerful that he plots a plan and then it goes perfectly according. Like, it doesn't, and he reacts, and that makes him more intimidating. The other thing that I love about the, the chase scene, and maybe that's just because we're coming off the Transformers series that's currently being released over at the Basement Binge, uh, there was not a single explosion in that car chase. Not a single <laughs> one. And, and, like, it was so good. It's just like, yeah, this is what happens when a car crashes. The, the metal crunches... And then you got an insurance bill. Like, there's not just <laughs> a bomb in every car. 
I mean, we yeah. get that later in a fitting scene, but it was like, it was like shocking. Like I was waiting for it to happen. And I had my hand on the remote to quickly turn down the volume to compensate for the increased loudness of the explosion. And it just never happened. <laughs> the sound mix in the film is just, it's pretty consistent. Rob, anything that you want to just follow up on with the, the car chase? You know, it's funny. I hadn't thought about it until you just said it, but yeah, like we're just so used to movies. Like when a car runs into another car, they just both spontaneously combust. Um, <laughs> Like, you know, we saw this, we talked about this a little bit with Jurassic Park, like, you know, the, um, in the second movie, the, the trailer falls off the cliff and it hits the ground and immediately explodes. Like, but why though? <laughs> like, right. What about that? It would crunch, but it wouldn't explode. Like, you know, another thing when you, when you shoot a car a whole bunch, like even if you shoot the gas tank, that doesn't make it explode either. Like we see all of these things in movies and it always drives me nuts because that's not how physics works. Um, that you almost kind of like, I don't know. It, it's not until you just said that. I was like, Oh yeah, they completely avoided that. And yeah, there's, there's certain things in this movie that feel a little bit outside the realm of possibility. Like just, you know, when he, when he jumps down the whole, you know, three flights of uh, stairs, just fall straight down and breaks his fall on a dead guy. Like that would probably still mess him up a little bit more <laughs> than, than what actually happened outside of that. Almost everything else could actually work. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of anything else that you're just like, nope, that doesn't work at all. Like, not even a little bit at all. Uh, I had a totally random thought about cars exploding while I was watching this. Like, what are we gonna do in the future when like all cars are electric? Like, are we just <laughs> gonna get acid leaks everywhere? You know, like, I don't know. The, the movie industry is gonna have to adapt. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that aside, that that's the other thing. That I, I mean, the visual effects when he jumps down the staircase are horrible, but. That, that I mean, that's another thing about this movie is that back to that simplicity, it never goes further than it needs to. Like, mm -hmm. it, can can writers in Hollywood come back to this movie and realize that for it to to be tense, for there to be, um, what's the word I'm searching for? Like stakes. It doesn't need to be the end of the world where we got the nuclear codes on speed dial. Like, we don't need that uh, because this does it. Like, I don't I don't really think there was a moment where I was like not there was not tension where I was not interested, where I was not engaged because it was like, Oh, this is, this is too boring. N never. Yeah. And again, it's because it's focused primarily on Marie and Jason. It's, it's really their story. Yeah. Jason's our main character. Marie is along for the ride. It's really their story. And thinking back to another quick plug for stuff going on at the basement bench, thinking back to how much we all liked Bumblebee because it wasn't, the Decepticons and Autobots and the war for Cybertron and like this whole massive thing. The story was about uh, Haley Steinfeld's character and Bumblebee. It was about those two and it works the best out of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. To, just to tie back to something you said earlier, Harrison with, you know, and Robbie said it too, there doesn't have to be huge stakes, but the ending of this movie, well, the, the main, you know, plot point is a conversation now, yeah. you know, somebody who, for some reason, you know, a listener here has never seen this movie and they're just listening to us review this, that might sound boring as hell. You might go, the ending of the conflict is a conversation like, oh, that's terrible. And I could see why in this day and age, somebody would think that like, wait, there's no big one verse 20. There's not a huge CGI battle. There's not a mm -hmm. big, you know, a big gunfight to close it out like. 
No, it's a conversation about what this character wants to be. And because the movie and Matt Damon's performance throughout makes you care about him, you want to see him make that decision. Um, and again, it's just like, yeah, it doesn't have to be super high stakes. The stakes can be the decision that your main character is going to make about what person he's going to be, which works really well. And again, it's it's kind of a theme of the overall series. Like each ending is not this real huge, epic, drawn out action scene. Even like that scene in the fields with the, the other guy, whatever his name is. I, re- I re- have remembered that scene and I didn't remember that it was Jason Bourne. I always thought that it was in Skyfall, which does mm-hmm. have a scene with a shotgun in the field, kind of similarly. But then Very I watched Skyfall and it wasn't that. So I was like, where is this scene that I remember? <laughs> and then it started and I was like, oh, this is it. And then it was over. And I was like, wow, my brain really elaborated on that and like drag drug it out to be so much more, but it doesn't need to be like, it's just quick and it's efficient. And, more than efficient is effective and it, it like i wonder if how this movie would be if it was released now like it follows a very good three act structure but the third act or the 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 rising action and conclusion isn't like this huge battle for the stakes of the world which i keep saying but it's just it's almost like weird because i've just been expecting that so much like didn't someone make a joke? Sometimes it's like every movie released in 2010 had a giant blue beam to space for its conclusion. Like it yeah. genuinely did. And it, it, this is just so not that. And it and they all stole it from Dark of the Moon. Dark of the Moon, was, <laughs> yeah. it, it literally was the first one to do it. So, I mean, that's not a movie you want to steal things from either. So <laughs> let's, let's go back to the Born Identity because this is just so refreshing. And it's, it's better. It is just better in, in every way I can imagine. Like, if you ask, I mean, this is a maybe like a convoluted question or a contrived question, but like, would I prefer this type of conclusion, or I would would I prefer something like Endgame type conclusion, where it's like that is the biggest end battle that you we've yet to see. Like, well, there's something about me that kind of wishes we had more of this. Like, I'm drawn to this ending a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just MCU fatigue, but. Uh, I just really like the simplicity of this. Yeah, Rob, I anything think there's you a space for everything. Yeah, there's a space for everything. Sometimes, you know, I, I think we use food comparisons for this a lot. Sometimes you want a hamburger. Sometimes you want a taco. Sometimes you want hot wings. I pretty much always want hot wings, but um, <laughs> it all depends. You know, I think if we. If so we are we want... equating hot wings to The Last Jedi? No, <laughs> no, that's going to be uh, boiled haggis. Is, is what that is. I don't even know what a haggis is. Okay, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> yeah, that's that's candy corn is what that is. That's Ooh, uh, candy corn. Yeah, don't at me. Candy corn's trash. Um, it is. But sometimes if, you know, I think if we, if we, if you only ever watch small independent film and never watched a major blockbuster as, as one example, you know, I think sometimes you just, maybe hunger for something where the stakes are a little bit higher, where things do mean a little bit more. Um, so I think it's good to expose yourself to a, a variety of different types of film. And, and certainly um, on both Matt goes to the movies and the basement binge, a variety of films have been explored from, from animated films to uh, the biggest of the MCU and star Wars and everything in between. So I think there's, there's certainly room for all of it. 
And that's what makes um, the love of film such a fun hobby to really get into. I, I got to say, Matt, thank you for picking this series because, I mean, like, binging series is the base and binge thing. And, and, like, I would not have gotten to this one in a long time if it wasn't for you inviting me on your show. And, like, this is, for me personally, like, this is the best cleanse, if you will, after Transformers. Like, as much as I love that and as much as I praised all those, and I, I still stand by what I said, like, this is a cleanse that I, you know, this is what I need in my life right now. So your uh, timing was impeccable. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly because uh, I was like, gee, I was I've always liked these movies, um, but this isn't really a, a series or a thing that I was like, OK, I can't review one of these. Like, so we're j- I'm just going to have to do the whole thing. And I know you had a schedule. So I was like, I, th- I think I'm going to borrow this idea to just do an entire series. Um, but one of the last things that I want to say and this is where it's hard for me to just kind of review this individually from all the other movies in this series. And I don't know if maybe you guys had the same thing. Um, The villains treadstone in this, as we go on in the series, I think they have much more interesting actors involved um, that have a relationship with Jason Bourne. And this was one of the only things that I found myself like not really liking, not that their performances were bad, but there's just actors that show up later in this series that are the protagonists for Bourne um, that are trying to go after him that I think are just much more interesting. So it's not a huge like faux pas for me or however you want to say it. It was just weird. I couldn't distinguish because like watching these guys in Treadstone, I couldn't help but think about the sequels and how much more I like the other characters that were brought into the, the universe. I do think it's maybe not clearly defined enough for me why they just, you know, he goes off the grid and instead of trying to recover their asset, they immediately go to take him out. He's off the grid, take him out. Like somebody who's got his skill set. Um, yeah, it, it seems, um, it seems like a bit of a jump. And I think this might be something where things get lost in translation when you're adapting a novel. I'm sure there's probably a lot more nuance to that um, in the book. And I actually, I will never have the time for it, but I actually kind of want to read this book. Um, but uh, I, I it, that's the one thing about this film's antagonist that really kind of stood out to me is I, I feel like we kind of leapt quite a bit from um, he didn't complete his mission to, you know, stamp him out. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I like that the villain. How can I say this the right way? The performance is definitely kind of like very much the bad guy in the CIA type of thing, like that. You know, the the CIA paperclick pusher who's a uh, you know going after the main character, like very much just gives off those vibes a hundred percent. But I will say that I like that. It doesn't like take advantage of Bourne's amnesia. If we're calling it that to, for this guy to say, he doesn't know Bourne. Like, like when Bourne said to him, like, like five thirty show up at this bridge or whatever, come alone. Like I immediately thought like, why is this guy going? Like, why doesn't he send a goon? Like Bourne has no idea who he's talking to. Anyone could show up. And I'm like, well, this guy, knows born and he knows that born knows him uh so i don't I don't know like that relationship i thought was really interesting how they like acknowledge that that one of them knows the other and like 
anyway, but the the performance with it was very much just like, hey, we need this guy who's who's he's in the organization and like he's he's the antagonist, and it's just very much like exactly what you expect that to be. Yeah, I I think um, for me, Rob, I'm just going to circle back to your point. I think one of the reasons why, and I'm sure it's probably fleshed out a little bit more in the book, um, that they're so quick to just jump is how I interpret it, is this guy failed his mission. They find out he's alive. So to me, their conclusion is he gave up on it. I I think they're worried about him exposing things. And they're not going to take that risk. They're just going to get rid of him. Um, You would think probably, yeah, they'd bring him back and like Winter Soldier his ass. But... <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> um, I, to me, that was my interpretation of why they were so quick to just want to get rid of him is because if he like they don't know that he has amnesia um, and why did he fail this mission? We have to get rid of him because in case he's planning to give secrets or whatever else the case may be, uh, that was just my interpretation of it. Yeah, that makes sense to me, at least. Yeah, and and I get part of that, but I think what would have made more sense is if you think he's compromised, you would want to bring him in and find out to what extent he's compromised. You know, um, but yeah. look, I, I, it's an action movie; it's a spy thriller. There's certain things you just kind of go, just go with it. <laughs> so it's it's a minor complaint compared to some of my my normal things. Yeah, no, and I I will say it probably makes it a lot easier that the it doesn't give you a lot of those moments if it was you know, the 20th time in the movie that you had to kind of go, all right, yeah, whatever. I'll just like, you don't have to suspend disbelief that much in this movie. So when you have to maybe stop and think about it, it's not really that bad. So uh, I I do agree with what you're saying though. So um, I want to give you guys a, a, a second to Rob, you kind of alluded to it. So I'll let you go first. Any final thoughts on you know the movie a a favorite scene that you have or anything that didn't really work which i'm not imagining any of us have but rob i'll give you the floor first yeah so favorite scene is is definitely that car chase i loved it um you know we've seen so many car chases but still for me to get excited about something um i love the way it was shot just really liked a lot of that um you know at least favorite scene again i just really wish they would have done something different with the dialogue to make that that scene in the car make a lot more sense when they first get to Paris. Uh, but outside of that, you know, this was something like I said, I, I hadn't seen in a long enough time. It was pretty much like almost watching this for the first time, really for me. And I would say just overall, this is a really fun thriller that's got just enough action to move things along. I really feel that somebody who would have read the book and then watch the movie or maybe, you know, went back and read the book. I feel like people who have read the source novel would probably say the book is a million times better. Just thinking about the the opportunity to play with Bourne's psyche, the opportunity to play with, you know, what he's thinking and how he's feeling as he's discovering things or realizing things about himself, um, I think would probably work a lot better Um in in written format as opposed to the screen but it it doesn't rely on its action scenes to draw you in 
it uses them to continue to move things along. It, it doesn't kind of have like a stopwatch going where it's like, okay, it's been 20 minutes time to have something blow up or, you know, we got to have a gunfight you guys. Um, but overall, you know, like I said, a really fun thriller and I'm glad that, uh, I rewatched it the other day. So the only thing I'll say, I, I don't know like where to mention this. So I'm just going to mention it now. I was really curious to like look into the financial success of this movie and like, this is like a classic series and it, it spawned a lot of movies and like financially this movie didn't do a ton uh when it came to like home media for example or sorry when it came to the box office like to give it some comparisons like catch me if you can came out the same year and made like wait where did this go that i was looking at it made like almost 50 million more dollars uh pirates of the caribbean that came out the year later made more than double like as far as box office goes like this was kind of in between like it wasn't horrible and wasn't great but when it came to home media it crushed it it was the highest grossing video rental of 2003 and i feel like it was just one of those movies where people realize like hey this is something that i want to see and so they rented it and they bought it and like it it just kind of become one of those like mainstays at home movies like when i think about dvd like not blu-ray like specifically dvd so a while ago, cases on a shelf. The Jason Bourne trilogy is one of those that just like immediately comes to mind. And and I I it's fun to because it's been so long since I see it to go back and kind of see like, well, yeah, these are the reasons that this became a mainstay and to understand why. Um and and so my favorite scene for that 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 I think points that out really, really well is just everything at the how at at is it her cousin or someone she knows the guy's house in whatever that town is uh hmm. that they show up to just because we get that like really sincere moment of born expressing that he wants to forget everything that he just learned but also the action scene that follows in this field obviously because one i finally have the movie to connect to the memory i've had for so long but also i just think it's an effective action scene like as far as action goes intensity it's great and also what it does for the character born is awesome that's that's my favorite scene there's not much about it that i don't like uh, I think that, that there's a little bit of the beginning of the movie that just, like, stumbles a little bit, just barely. Like, it's still trying to figure out itself, if that makes sense, at the beginning. And maybe that's literally because Jason Bourne's trying to figure out himself. <laughs> uh, but but there's just a little bit that, it, like, it didn't have the smoothness that it had later. Um, but I can't really, like, point to a moment to say that. Uh, but, yeah, that, I don't know, field, farm, whatever it is, that's, that's the favorite scene for me. Yeah, this was one of those ones where it didn't cost a ton to make. Um, I, I think you guys know, and probably anybody who's listened to the show or even listened to the basement bench, because I'll bring it up. Um, you know, $60 million to make this movie is not a ton of money, um, considering some of the budgets that movies have, even back then in the early 2000s. Uh, but yeah, this like really caught fire on home video. Um, and then each subsequent movie minus the born legacy did better than the next one. Like the sequel made more than the first. And then the trilogy, you know, the capper, which was thought to be the capper made more than the second one. Um, but yeah, it was, it was word of mouth that really helped this, this movie at first, because I think probably there was a lot of maybe trepidation, you know, could Matt Damon pull this off? Cause Rob, you said it and we talked about it. He wasn't known for this. So, okay. And Again, I don't know if you guys actually got time to watch the trailer, but the trailer didn't make this movie look all that interesting. It looked very generic. Like, it it did not look like something, at least to me, like, 
oh, you have to go out and see this. It just looked okay. Yeah, sure. There's there's a action movie coming out along with the other twenty that came out in the last six months. Um, so it had to rely on word of mouth. But my favorite scene it, it would definitely be the chase scene. Um, I, I agree with everything Rob said about that. And then again, my my lowest point for this movie, and it's just because comparing it to the other two that I'm talking about. Um, I just thought the representation of Treadstone and the later projects was just much better with the actors that they brought in after this first movie. So uh, that's going to do it for my thoughts on this. Um, anything else that you guys need to add before we move on? All right. You guys can't see it, but they're shaking their head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to move into popcorn time review. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to rate this movie um, on our popcorn time scale uh, out of five popcorn buckets. So I'm going to let uh, Harrison, you go first. I'll go second. And Rob, I'll let you close this off. Oh, well, of course you picked me to go first because I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> out of five... <laughs> Uh, you know what? You know what? Let's do it. This is four buckets. Four buckets. Four buckets? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about it, and I was going to go lower, and I thought, you know what? No, because there's movies that I put lower, and this is better than that, and I liked it better than that. I don't think that it's as strong as other fours that I'll give. Like, it's definitely not one that I think is infinitely rewatchable and has, like, the same excitement or, like passion that i come away with as others do but when i watch it it's it's like a quieter like yes that was good uh and i enjoyed it and i'm gonna let it go back on the shelf and let it sit for a while and then i'm gonna come back to it and i'm not gonna be disappointed uh type of thing so yeah i'll, I'll give it four because it, it really really impressed me we talked about it with matt damon and, and kind of the drama if you will that he gives to the character and, and how that really works and of course the action scenes it, it's fun for me to come to a director that I, doug lyman if you want a really bad example that I love, but I know is horrible, look at Jumper. Like, he just goes nuts, and he doesn't really know what he's doing. And so it's awesome to see him doing what he does well, doing it well. Uh, and and so there's just a lot about it that I, that I really, really liked, and I was impressed with how much there is here to really enjoy. And not just like, oh, yeah, it's a Jason Bourne movie. Like, yeah, it's a good action movie, like Easy Pass. It's like genuinely very good. That was a really long answer. Um, but I, I, it's almost like I had to convince myself of what I rated it because I hadn't made up my mind yet. Uh, I will say that I love jumper because it's a trash pile. Um, it is, <laughs> it, it is such a bad movie to me, but there's, there's something about it that I just, I love because I, I don't know if somebody told everybody to take it seriously, but everybody involved is taking that movie way too serious. Um, oh yeah. And it's just, it makes it even more hysterical for me. But uh, in terms of my rating, I'm going to give this a four as well. Um, similar to Rob. I mean, God, it's, I know it's been at least 10 years since I saw this movie. So it was really like watching it almost for the first time again. Um, but I just, I walked away from it going, yeah, that was a good movie. It, you know, it's an hour and 59 minutes. It never felt long. It never felt quick. I thought the pacing went along very well. 
Matt Damon's very believable. He brings a really likable presence to the screen. I mean, he's kicking the crap out of people, but um, <laughs> you, you just you just feel for the guy. He he makes you be vulnerable with him. I was surprised by the chemistry that he had um, with you know the the co-star in this movie. I, I thought that was really good and didn't remember it from the last time that I had seen it. Um, and again, really good action sequences, really good cinematography. So yeah, uh, this is a four for me. Four buckets uh, for me. This I think is this film is how you define what a four out of five is. It it really is the case study of what a four out of five looks like. You're never hmm. gonna regret sitting down to watch this movie, but it's gonna stay on your DVD rack longer than other things. Um, it, it doesn't do anything wrong, but it doesn't enter the the realm of those all time classics. You're gonna find yourself going back to over and over and over again. Um, I think this is as solid of a four as you can ever get four buckets for me. That was a really good way to describe, to describe that. Um, I, I like that analogy a lot. So that's going to do it for the, the born identity. Uh, we'll continue to f- cover these movies uh, next with the born supremacy. But before we, we sign off and say goodbye on this episode, uh, Harrison, I want to give you a second here to talk about what is coming from the basement binge. Certainly we had, we had done transformers, but what's coming down the pipeline. You know what? Another question I don't have the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I recently started a new job that, uh, I'm a teacher at a high school. Well, I was technically a student teacher and, uh, it takes a lot of time to prepare to do that effectively to the level that I want and school is starting soon. So there's just like, I have so much less time than I thought. So I'm still trying to get the transformers episodes released. And then the, how to train your dragon trilogy that we did at the beginning of the year, finally being released at time of recording. Technically tomorrow is the three year anniversary of the basin binge, August 31st. I like to consider all of September, the anniversary month, but I had really big plans. I was going to launch a Patreon. I was going to do all these things. And now I don't even know what episode I'm going to release next. So I got to f- figure myself out. But when I do, I will. you will probably hear it here first on the basement. Page. You know what? Actually, I, if everybody listening now come in, the next time you listen to Matt Goes to the Movies, which is going to be the Born Supremacy. Is that the next one? Correct. I will have an announcement of what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm That's going to be the opening segment. Yeah. What is Harrison doing with his life? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I hope you don't ever ask me what I'm doing with my life. Holy crap. (laughs) It's a difficult question to ask, okay? You feel the pressure. (laughs) I'm going to ask you Thursday when we see each other. But, but Rob, you you have Rob's reviews. You recently released an episode, which I'm always insanely curious when you do those because you pick these movies that uh especially uh one in particular um that i absolutely love and i'm like i can't believe i never thought to do that but i i love getting your perspective um so why don't you tell us about what happened at rob's reviews um and if there's anything else that you might be currently working on 
Yeah, so uh, two episodes released recently over at the the spinoff of the main continuity here at uh, Matt Goes to the Movies. We call it the Extended Podcast Universe for a little show uh, that we call Rob's Reviews. I uh, did an episode with my oldest daughter, Lillian, on Minions, The Rise of Gru. A very, very different uh, kind of episode from what we normally do, where my brother Eric and I are talking about some uh, all-time classics for us, um, just films that have really stuck with us for a long time. When we began talking about the concept of, of doing a show, Eric and I, uh, Running Scared was immediately on his list. It was like right at the top of his list. It was it was one that he insisted that we do at some point, and uh, it, was, it was great to go back and rewatch it. Um, it's it's not one of Paul Walker's most well-known films. It did not do well at the box office. Likely, the only reason you, the listener, even know of its existence is that I'm talking about it right now. Um, it's not streaming anywhere, but if you find time in your watch schedule to check it out, um, you can rent it on Amazon for like $3.99 or any of the other places you can typically rent films. Um carve out the time to do it. It's, it's worth it to see it. And then, uh, and then when you're done, uh, download the episode and, uh, listen to Eric and I react to it. It was, it was a good time. Uh, we're hoping to get something else in the month of September, but we definitely have plans for October when, uh, Matt goes to the movies typically turns its attentions to the scarier side of film. So we've definitely have one ready for that. I will be heading the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> Harrison will be covering Toy Story and Toy Story. Actually, no. In the third one, it gets real dark real fast. So that we'll might skip be too that much. One. To... Yeah, yeah right. skip that part. <laughs> there was oh, one of man. one of my students today. I asked them all what their favorite holiday was, and she was uh, hers was Halloween. And so I asked her, and she's like, you know, all October every day, I watch a scary movie. And she's like, anybody's welcome to join me. And I was like, I definitely will not. Like, I was like, did you watch Coraline one of those days? And she's like, oh, that's actually my favorite. I was like, okay, maybe that one. <laughs> or A Quiet Place. That counts, right? Yeah, sure. If I'm feeling up to it that day, though. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, that uh, I, I certainly will be looking forward to October because uh, – uh, as Rob said, we'll be switching our attention to the horror genre. Um, one of those will be Halloween ends, which I am eagerly, eagerly anticipating, um, which will come out on October 14th, not the review, but the movie. So, um, and with the announcement of another saw movie coming out too next year, I, I was incredibly excited to hear about that, but that's going to do it for this episode of Matt goes to the movies. Uh, I want to say thank you to Robin Harrison for coming here and doing this review and watching this series uh, for the basement binge. You can catch all of the show notes. Um, well, the links for his show in the notes, if you want to contact his show, you'll know how to do that. Also contact our show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Email us for reviews that you'd like to see or just comments on anything that you have listened to. Once again, thanks for joining us and we'll see you real soon at Matt Goes to the Movies.